All right, uh, so before we get started, is it going to drive anyone crazy if I'm not centered? That's not what I was going to ask, but okay, I can, I'll get close to center. Um, so before we get started, I have a couple real quick announcements. One, um, I don't know if you guys ever really realize all that Sarah and Mackenzie do in the back, but they do a ton. So we need to stop real quick, and they're both going to hate this, and they're both disappearing right now. But to recognize those two ladies for all they do in the back and making Sundays run. Um, now that I've done that, if I can get some more volunteers, because both of them just quit, um, that would be helpful. <clears throat> the second thing, just some exciting news as we are hopping in. Um, on the back, we have this card, Pray for Milledgeville. Well, today, Milledgeville is launching their core team meetings. So um, they're going to be building up. Uh, for those that don't know, we are planting a church. We sent Kyle and Jen down to Milledgeville to plant uh, starting in August. I think they're 12 Sundays, 10 Sundays away from officially launching. Um, and this, I think this evening, they were starting their core team meetings where they're uh, bringing anyone that's interested into helping plant the church, teaching them the DNA of the branch and getting to know Kyle and Jen and the leadership there. So <clears throat> that is another huge milestone in the life of getting them there, core team meetings starting, and then hopefully by August, they'll actually launch as official church. So uh, be praying for those guys, be praying for the core team. Just curious, raise your hand if you were part of the core team here before we launched. Two, well, Jace, you kind of were. Didn't you come over before? Okay, well, hey, we're Baptists, we count that. So, um, so there's two of us, that was a little anticlimactic. Cool. Um, so I know that we're taking a break from Luke for the summer, but this morning we're not. So open your Bibles to Luke. We're going to go back to Luke. Um, just for this morning, this, as far as this text goes, this is the best explanation. I tried honestly to avoid Luke because I know we're taking a break from Luke, but it's just so good. So uh, for those that don't know what we're doing, uh, we're typically, we teach through books of the Bible. We've done Galatians. Um, we've do, we're going through Luke. That'll end next April or May. And then I think, it's, don't hold me to this, but I think we're going to go back to Leviticus which is kind of interesting, but we'll cross that bridge in the next year. Um, but for the summer, we're stopping to take a break and, and doing a series called Celebration of Discipline. Um, now, we've kind of talked about this the last couple of weeks, but um, this is just something that seems counterintuitive, that why would we celebrate discipline? Um, does anyone know who Jocko Wilkins is? Oh, gosh, you need to know Jocko Wilkins. He's a Navy SEAL. Just The dude is just the greatest man of all time. Um, but Brie and I were walking through Barnes & Noble yesterday because we had no kids, and that's what we do when we have no kids is enjoy silence and books. And the idea of readings, neither of us are really readers, uh, but we love the idea of reading and books. Um, and so we were just kind of walking around, and Jocko has a book called um, Discipline Equals Freedom. And so this is the idea that the more disciplined we are, the more free we feel. We understand this in health, right? The more disciplined we are working out, the healthier we're going to be. Therefore, the more free we can to go and do. And um, with finances, if we're disciplined now, then we're going to have a freedom in retirement. Uh, but for a lot of times, we think of grace and like, oh, there's no discipline in Christianity. That, that's not what that means. Um, so what we're trying to do is take some of these major pillars um, that Christ outlines for us as disciplines in the Christian faith and kind of expound upon them. Uh, but this morning, we're, it's, it's a little bit different um, because we're dealing with the idea of prayer. And, and I want to stop and add that there is definitely some discipline in prayer. Um, but the caveat here is if, if I don't want to put the cart before the horse, right? So um, if, if the cart is prayer, then what is the horse? Is what we're going to try to understand because, yes, there are disciplines that we'll see within the idea of prayer. 
Um, but I think there's a huge element that we have to talk about before we even get to prayer that would radically change our prayer lives. Does that make sense? Um, so Luke 11 is where we're going to land. I think this kind of expounds the most uh, clearly for us of what this horse is that we're chasing. Luke 11, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. Is everyone happy to be here? Good? Okay. I mean, my wife is just in the back making her click list, so I know she's not, but I was just making sure that everyone else was. <laughs> Don't think I wasn't going to call you out on that. You got a grocery shop sometime. She hears her husband talk all the time. All right, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. Luke 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, and this is kind of where we're going to focus on, Lord, teach us how to pray as John taught his disciples. Verse 2, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Verse 5. And when he said this to them, which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Verse 7, and he will answer within, do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impotence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. Verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if asked for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give this Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So what, what I'm going to kind of bounce around a little bit. If you want just the straight expository preaching of this text, go back to our podcast. We handle this line by line, verse by verse. Uh, but for this morning, with the idea of prayer as a discipline, but, but trying to understand is prayer where we start off? Do we just need a white-knuckle prayer until we make it our slave? We're, we're kind of looking at Jesus' example um, to help us understand what is best to do. So if you go back to verse uh, 1, this is where it all kind of starts to get a little wonky for us. Is that a word, wonky? It is now. Lord, teach us how to pray as John taught his disciples. So the entire rest of this passage is Jesus answering the disciples' request to teach us then how to pray, that we desire to talk to God, that we want to learn what this process looks like. Jesus, will you teach us to do that? John's disciples can pray. Can you teach us to pray in that manner? So we can study this passage from an exegetical standpoint to try to understand what it means to pray, but I would even take a step back and argue that we don't want to learn how to pray. That prayerlessness in America, in the local church, in our congregation is the huge elephant in the room that we have to address because we can study this passage, but we're studying that at the wrong presupposition that we actually want to learn how to pray. That most of us, if we're honest, would, and we would say, yeah, like, I feel guilty that I don't pray, but if we're actually honest, we don't pray and we don't really feel bad about it until we get here and you feel like you should pray. And then we go about the rest of our day, the rest of our week, the rest of our lives, not really praying, not actually pursuing prayer, not making it a discipline. And that's what I want to try to answer this morning. Before we say, you need to do this and come across very legalistic, uh, if, if there's, nothing, there's nothing driving the idea of prayer, then we're just praying for the sake of praying. 
So for this morning, what we're going to try to understand and dive into is, again, if prayer is the cart, what is the horse? And I'm going to argue this morning that the horse is faith. That if we don't have faith driving, then prayer doesn't mean anything. So realistically, with that in mind, um, go back to Luke 11, and I'm going to paraphrase it and how we're actually, what we're actually saying as cultural Christians in America. This is what we're really saying. When you don't pray, you are saying, Gabe, how would be my name? My kingdom come. I will take care of getting my daily bread, and I can forgive my own sins by hard work so that I don't have to forgive anyone else. I will protect myself from any temptation. I don't need you, God. Don't bother anyone else for your needs. Take care of it yourself. People and God will let you down when you ask, so it's better not to ask. Don't ask, work, and it will be given to you. Don't seek, make, and you will find. Don't knock, kick the door open, and it will be opened for you. Now, I know that sounds totally anti-scripture, which it is, but which one do we actually relate to more? If we're just being brutally honest with ourselves, what prayer do we actually pray? Might your kingdom come, your will be done, or it's up to me, I need to take care of it. I mean, this is just the American way. This is how we do things. We white-knuckle everything. We don't depend on God. We don't ask for help. We don't ask for favors. If it's up to me, I will take care of it, and I'm not going to let anyone else down. So when we look at this idea of prayer, we can't honestly say that we're begging Lord to teach us how to pray because we are saying a prayer. I mean, Hebrews 11 would say this, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. We all have faith, church. We all pray, but we have faith in ourselves and we're praying to ourselves more than we're praying to God. And it wouldn't take all of us long to really examine our hearts and see that to be truth, especially in the South, especially in the Bible Belt, where we're almost praised for living uh, this duplicitous life. Depend on God, sure, but you better, be a, you better take care of it. Yeah, have, have, have faith, have prayer, but ultimately it's up to you. We never actually admit that, but that's all the way that we live and act and treat one another. It's just fully up to you. So what I want to do for over the next little bit is look at this passage and maybe try to draw out some conclusions for us how, where we're missing this faith in the idea of prayer. Now, I am really proud of myself. I just have to be honest for a moment. Uh, we're about to go into a three-part uh, sermon, and all of them are alliterated and starts with F. And if I would have had a printer at my disposal this week, I would have printed off a print off so that you could fill in the blanks with the F at the beginning of every single one because I am a Baptist pastor now. So um, the first one that we have to look at is as we're talking about faith and as we're talking about faith drives the idea of prayer, uh, what we see from this text is that we forget that he is our, starts with an F, Father. Go ahead and fill in the blanks, right? We forget that he is our Father. I mean, look at how he starts verse two. And when you pray, say, Father, and then if you skip all the way down to verse 13, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? Now, honestly, how many of us view God as Father? That intimate relationship, that constantly pestering, that love that you just want to be with constantly. 
Do we have that view of God as Father? And if we do, how radical would that change our prayer life? You see, I think prayer is one of these things, if we get faith right, then discipline doesn't even matter. That we shouldn't have to be disciplined in prayer. If we get the faith component right, prayer is just going to be like drinking water. It's just going to be like speaking. It's going to come so natural to us. And I think the first spot that hinders our faith is our view as Father. If I take a stab at it, here's what I would guess just on my life. That there's been some event in your life where you've prayed, you've petitioned, you've begged the Lord and he did not come through. And you said, if that's a father, I don't want any part to do with him. That he let me down in this area. That this didn't take place, therefore my faith is hurt now. I don't view him as a father because of this event. Uh, last week, this just blew my mind. Um, my daughter, my two-year-old, uh, had this huge desire. We were swimming at the lake. She wanted to jump off. It's probably a 15-foot deck, like into the water. Uh, I've seen grown men not jump off this thing. And so my Emmy just wanted to go up there and jump off. And so I kept trying to convince her, no, no, you can't do this. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to scare the poop out of her. So I was like, okay, Emmy, let's go. Let's walk up to the top. I'm going to put you on this platform. I want you to look over. And surely once you look over, your knees are going to start knocking you. Like, God, I don't want to jump anymore. Um, she wanted to jump even more. She like looked over. It was so excited. And so in that moment, I'd say, no, like, I cannot let you do this. And a good father, a loving father, it's constantly saying no. I feel like in the age of my kids, I say no more than I say yes. So we have to get over this notion that because God said no, because the prayer didn't come answered, therefore he's not a good God. How horrible of a dad would I be if I said yes to my kids constantly? Now I know in this room, we're all not going uh, uh, to recognize ourselves as a two-year-old. We're going to recognize ourselves right now. That when I'm praying, I know what I should be praying for. God, I know enough about this situation. You should just do what I tell you to do. Church, I'm going to lovingly tell you, you're a two-year-old in the scheme of God. That you are the two-year-old asking to jump off a 15-foot dock. That you're a two-year-old asking for all these things that you really know nothing about. So all these no's that have come across your life, that was possibly the most loving thing for the Father to do for you is to tell you no. That is what it means for us to have a father. But do we view him that way? Do we view him as a dictator? Do we view him as a democratic leader? Do we view him as some distant relative? Or do we actually view God as father? If we don't, then our faith is always going to be hindered. Therefore, prayer is never going to be constant. The second part I think that we forget based on this text is we forget our, it starts with an F, framework, right? I feel so Baptist today. I need a tie and like a big pulpit and it'd be awesome. You know one of those big ones that like you can take your pants off behind and no one would ever know? One of those pulpits. Just making sure you're with me, right? Uh, we forget our framework. So uh, verse uh, two, three, four, two. Father, how would be your name? Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And then he goes on to say, which one of a friend would go to him at midnight? Give me three loaves. Give us our day. Give us our bread. And we're the ones that are pleading for this. We're the ones that are going to knock on our next door neighbor's door because we don't have enough bread. But we often forget our framework as a faith idea and as a prayer idea that we don't think that we actually need anything. That when we put ourselves in this story, who are we? We're the neighbor with the bread every single time. We're praying this prayer. We're the ones that we, th I don't have to ask for this. I can just go earn it. I can go work for it. I don't need anything from God. In this moment, I've got everything I need. And what does that hinder our faith? 
One of the greatest advice, piece of advice I've ever been given is just two simple words. Just zoom out. Zoom out for a second. So yes, in this moment right now, I have a beautiful wife. I have four beautiful kids. I live in a nice home. We have both have vehicles. I mean, things for us right now are good. Why do I need God? But if I start to zoom out here, if I get the, the fringe, the frames of the picture in scope, who made all of this that I own? What's, sorry, I literally was like, where's a frog in here? What is that? Right? I, I, didn't, I didn't create any of this. I didn't do it. So if I would zoom out on my life, I could quickly see that all that's taking place is none of my own doing, but it's all a gift from the Lord. I mean, when you start to zoom out, I mean, just real quick, raise your hand if you love to speak in front of people. Is this something you love, you enjoy? Okay, now raise your hand if it would terrify you to do uh, what I'm doing, speaking in front of people. Okay, um, no one in my family does this. This is not something, if, uh, you guys, most of you know my family, know my parents, some of you know my brother. They're all pretty shy, pretty reserved. But when I was my kid's age, I had a speech impediment that when I got to fifth grade, they're like, man, good luck. I can't do anything else for you. You're always going to say whale woad, and it's just going to be okay. That's like, that's who I was growing up. I got my tongue cut, like the little, like, it was weird, right? Where did this idea, where did this gift even come from? It's not me, it's from the Lord. Where did this desire to be a pastor come from? It's not from me, it's from the Lord. Where did four healthy kids come from? It's not for me. It's, it's, so when we start to zoom out, we start to see this bigger picture. of I didn't do anything to earn any of this. It always just drives me crazy when I see these professional athletes and just boasting about their gift and their skills and their abilities. And yeah, I get it. Yes, they worked hard. But I've worked really hard at some things too, and I'm never going to be able to dunk a basketball. I mean, there's just genetics at play here that that is a gift from the Lord that you have. So if we start to zoom out and see this framework that we have, there's a reason God says he's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end of everything, including us. The last thing that I want to see here is verse 4, that we forgive or we forget our faults. Forgive us our sins, for we forgive for, yes, excuse me, verse 4, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And this is something we, we push pretty hard here. But we know our sin. It doesn't, it's, not, it's not a hard thing for us to convince. If we're just really honest and vulnerable and transparent with one another, if we could be real just for half a second, we, we know our faults and our sins. And this is, if we connect point three with point one as father, this is what it means And if we understand our faults and our shortcomings and our sins, but we understand that God is father, who are we going to run to then? We're going to run right back into his arms because we know he loves us and he cares for us. And that within itself is going to grow faith. And that is going to lead us into a spirit of prayer because more faith equals more prayer. But, but here's what we've all heard, right? Uh, I'm sure we've all heard this quote. From Martin Luther, I have so much business I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. Have y'all heard this quote? So we kind of have this weird juxtaposition of, yes, I know I need to pray. Uh, I know I need more faith to lead to prayer. But like, man, I'm reading guys like Luther. I'm reading guys like Mueller, Hudson Taylor, all these real famous guys in history. Uh, I'm hearing people, man, I, I can't start my day without prayer. And I can. 
Like, I can just go my entire day without prayer. So if that's what a prayerful life looks like, I'm going to go ahead and quit before I even get started because I can not get there. One of the most humbling things I've done, based on Matthew 6, 5 through 8, is when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. So some of you guys, if we've been out to coffee or something, you've probably experienced this. Um, I just made a rule for myself. If I have not prayed privately that day, I will not pray publicly. So if I'm at breakfast or if I'm at lunch or, God forbid, sometimes dinner, and someone says, hey, man, will you bless the meal? I'm like, I can't, sorry. You're up. And sometimes people go, like, you're a pastor. This is what you get paid to do. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, but I have not prayed privately today, so I cannot pray publicly. So when we look at Matthew 6 and his instructions to um, the disciples who leads on to the church. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. But truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in, se- or who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard with their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask them. So what does it mean then for us to have a prayerful life? It means for us to have a faithful life. And we all by nature are children of faith. We just put faith in things Easily. I've used this illustration 10 million times, but I would guarantee it was going to work here again right now. How many people checked your chair before you sat down? Anyone? Just curious. Anyone check your chair before you sat down? Because as a sophomore in high school, this dude that we call, uh, I don't want to say his nickname. As a sophomore in high school, my friend, quote unquote, undid my seat in chemistry class, and I fell all the way down because when I sat down, it just kept going. I check my chairs now. How many of you checked your chairs? How many of you getting into your car this morning uh, made sure that you had brake fluid in your car so that you could stop when you got to the stop sign? No, so by nature, we're all children of faith. We all have faith in something. Faith is not the hindrance here. It's the affection of faith. It's the target of faith that we're wrestling with. So what does our Lord's prayer actually sound like? Do we pray a prayer to the Lord or do we pray a prayer to ourselves? That is what faith looks like for us. So I, wrote, uh, I read a quote this morning, or no, this week, uh, from an author over at Desiring God, and he says this, that prayerlessness is almost always due to a stalled engine. So he did the, kind of the cart before the horse idea, but he expounded on a little bit. He said that faith is the engine on a train, that God's promises are the fuel, and discipline are the rails. So the faith is the engine of the train, the fuel are God's promises, and the discipline is the rails. It's to keep us where we're going. So prayerlessness, if we're struggling with this discipline of prayer, that nine out of ten times it's always rooted in the idea of faithlessness. But not just general, I have no faith. No, it's where our faith is targeted, which is nine or 90% of the time us, not him. That's why we don't pray. That's why we think, that's why we meditate, that's why we uh, try to figure things out on our own instead of having faith in the one who already has the solution. So prayerlessness is almost always due to a stalled engine. So if, if we're all tracking at this point then, if we're all saying, okay, I get it, I, I need to have a discipline of prayer, uh, but I know that it comes from faith, I know that I'm weak in my faith, what then do I do? If, if my prayer engine is stalling, how do I get my discipline of prayer Going. I think the first one would be this, and this doesn't have an alliteration, so sorry. 
the first one is recall God's past grace. If we could just take a step back and say, okay, what has God done for me? Where has God been gracious for me in my past? Where has he been so good to me that I cannot deny the fact that God was real in that moment? And it might have been six months ago, two years ago, ten years ago, or today. It might have been this morning. But for us to wrestle with this idea, faith leads to prayer. And we're weak in faith. The first thing I would say is wrestle with where has been God been gracious for you. Remember that, to meditate on that. That will drive the engine. I think the second one is find the leak. Where is the leak in your fuel tank? Where are God's promises starting to run out? And I love this because most of us in DNA groups have experienced this. We're starting to target where um, our worry comes from. Most of us have two or three places that if I'm doing good in this area, everywhere else is doing good. But if I'm doing bad in this area, nothing else is good. You guys recognize this? So God could be so true and so gracious and so genuine to you. But if you're having financial problems, God's the worst thing ever. God could be in every arena of your life. God's grace could be so evident. But if you're having parenting problems, God's not real. But we could just go down the line. If you're having employment, if you're work problems, you're having this problems, and it it just puts a cloud over everything else in your life that you cannot see clearly because of this one or two areas of life. What are those areas? Where is that leak coming from? And where do you need to memorize scripture to to bolster up your faith, to know God's promises so that leak stops? I think number three, which could be number one, could be number four, could be, I mean, we could all just stop right here. Is it repent from unbelief? A lack of faith is sin, period. That a lack of faith for us, if, if we're admitting that a lack of faith leads to prayerlessness, we can't just tiptoe around this idea that that is sin, that is idolatry. That a lack of faith, again, we're not just saying faith doesn't exist, we're saying faith is in me, I can put my trust in me, then what are we doing here? We're creating an idol out of ourselves. We're putting our hope and our trust in ourselves that we've, we're committing the sin of idolatry. So we can't just skip around this idea like, oh yeah, I'll get there at some point. No, a lack of faith is sin because we're making idols out of ourselves. And the last thing would be to fuel your faith engine with the promises of God. I mean, one thing for me, any else, anyone else a worry worm? Cool, two people, great. Um, let me try that again. Anyone else a worry worm? All right. Uh, have you guys ever read Matthew 6, 25 through 34? So fuel your faith engine with promises. I'll probably recite that scripture over and over in my head, probably two or three times a day. Do not worry. What does a man add to his life by worrying for one minute? God takes care of the lilies of the field and the flowers of the air. Nope. Lilies of the field and the birds are there. How much more is God going to provide for you? I mean, that, that thought is constantly going through my head. Do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. If God, like, just go look at the birds. I, we were camping a couple weeks ago. I was just trying to teach that, trying to impart that into my kids. Like, Man, look at these birds. Isn't this crazy? Where did they get their food from? Do they look scared? Do they look anxious? Do they look worried? No, they're, they're fine. And then we were camping last week, and they found some dead birds. I'm like, well, that just doesn't help my point right here. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> 
It happens, right? God's sovereign. Uh, so, so anyways, uh, this is constantly going, and that might not be your uh, kryptonite, but for me, fuel your faith engine with promises. Find that leak, recognize that leak where you, I just don't trust God in some areas, and I'm constantly reciting these promises over and over and over again. Do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. If God is, if we are evil fathers who know how to give good gifts, God, the great father, is going to give us what we need. Do not worry. And that faith is going to push me into prayer like nothing before. So this week, have y'all heard of George Mueller? I was listening to some things about George Mueller. I've kind of heard the name around, and, but never really studied this guy. He's just fantastic. He was alive during the Spurgeon days and um, during kind of the great awakening time, just a phenomenal time to be alive in history. Um, and George Mueller just had a really weird thing about him, which is actually pretty cool, but kind of strange. Um, dude quit taking a salary from his church for 68 years. I'm not signing up for that church, just so you know. But quit taking a salary. He said, no, I'm going to pray it in. God's going to take care of it. Through his span, he took care of 10,000 orphans. It was said that when his funeral was going through town, that there was a 1,000 of the orphans lined up, and they kept praying, and they kept wailing, there's the death of my second father. So these orphans loved George Mueller, that took care of them, provided for them, because he had, within the orphans, he would only take orphans in whose both parents were actually dead. Like that's who it was. So they had experienced the death of their first father, and they all considered George Mueller their second father. 10,000, imagine the amount of money that had to be raised. Uh, it's rumored to say, just trying to take the amount there and, and contextualize it, now it's over seven or eight million dollars that George Mueller brought in just by prayer. Never ask for anything. So here's a guy that if we were to look at, we'd say, this man understands prayer. Whatever he's doing, we need to do. We need to learn the ideas and the structure um, and how he prayed. Forget about the faith. I just want to pray like George Mueller. But when his wife died, and he was preaching his wife's, he had two wives, both of them, he preached both of their funerals, right? Not at the same time. Wife died, preached a funeral. Married, died, preached a funeral, just to clarify. At his first wife's funeral, this is what he said. Now think about this in the context of how strong George Mueller was in prayer. What he's going to say is not boasting in the fact of prayer, it's boasting in the fact of faith. I am in myself a poor, worthless sinner, but I've been saved by the blood of Christ, and I do not live in sin. I walk uprightly before God. Therefore, if it is really good for me, my darling wife will be raised up again sick as she is. God will restore her again. But if she is not restored again, then it would not be a good thing for me. And so my heart was at rest. I was satisfied with God in all the springs, as I've often said before, from taking God at his word, believing what he says. So here's a man that obviously knows how to pray. We see the fruit of that even till today that no one would argue that George Mueller is one of the greatest men of prayer ever. And at the death of his wife, he's not saying, I prayed and God didn't answer, therefore I'm frustrated. But he said, I prayed, but I have faith in the blood of Christ. So if God will restore her, then it's good for me. But if God chooses not to, it's still good for me because he is my father. He knows what's best. So his prayerfulness did not just land on an island by itself, but it started and ended with the idea of faith, that God as my Father ultimately knows what's best for me. 
So if he chooses to save her, I'm good with it. If he chooses not to save her, I'm good with it. Now, do you think that this created this laziness in George Mueller's prayer? Oh, God is sovereign. Whatever is going to happen is going to happen, so I'm just not going to pray. No, I would encourage you to go study and read about George Mueller because that is the farthest from the truth. But his prayer was always, not my will, Father, but yours. It's the whole Adrach Meshach and Amendigo. God can save me. God will save me. But even if he doesn't, he's still good. That does not change my faith in God. So as we think this week, as we start to understand the discipline of prayer, let us never think that discipline of prayer is going to lead to faith, but only faith will lead to a discipline of prayer. So I'm going to pray for us, and then I would just encourage us to wrestle with this. And a communion will be open for those of us that do believe uh, and we will continue in worship. So let's pray. And Father, we thank you for what you've done for us. God, would you forgive us for not recognizing this? You are our Father. Then everything you do, you love us. I know it's so easy for us to lose track of that and, and doubt that. But Father, as we think of prayers. We think about communicating with you. And God, we repent from the idea that we're not asking you to teach us how to pray. We think we know how to pray, and we put too much weight on our own selves and not enough on you. So God, would you grow us in faith? Would you give us faith to trust you, to love you, to see what you're doing Father, would we take to heart your words, that your will be done, your kingdom is coming, that you are our Father, that we only forgive others because you've first forgiven us. And you're encouraging us in love to keep knocking, to keep seeking, that if we really trust you as Father, if we really love you, that we're going to search for the answer. We're going to drive you crazy with our words, looking for truth. So, Father, for those of us in this room that struggle with more of a legalistic bent, just tell me what to do, Pastor, so I can go do it. Father, would you save us from that? Would you save us from ourselves? Would we not try to white-knuckle prayer, but would prayer be a joy for us because we get to commune with our Father? And as time goes on, would we desire to get up earlier and earlier and earlier to pray, not because we have to, but because we get to? Would we get to a point in our lifetime where we are so dependent on prayer that everything else ceases until that takes place? But Father, we know the only way that takes place is to know you and to love you as our Father. It's to understand our framework, to zoom out, and to understand who we are in light of who you are. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. As we take communion this morning, would we remember what kind of father you are? That you never left us. That you never asked us to figure this thing out on our own. But you came and you died for us, knowing that we could not save ourselves. So would we quit trying to save ourselves and put our faith in the one who does? It's in your name we pray. Amen.